Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. So, did y'all hear the rain this morning? Pitter-patter on the roof? Yeah, I mean, we knew it was coming. It had been forecasted, well, like a hundred years ago. Yeah, a hundred years ago, that's when God said, hey, there's, there's going to be a flood. And finally, the, I mean, the ark is built, the supplies are inside, the animals are inside, Noah and his family are inside. God shuts the door. God closes the door behind them, and then it begins to rain, and, well, then God kills everybody. Sounds awkward to say it that way, doesn't it? Let, let's say it a, a, a cleaner more biblical way. Look, Genesis six seventeen said it this way. I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the same thing, isn't it? He, he killed everybody. You know, there's a lot to understand here about who God is, what he's doing, why we want to know a God that kills everybody. There's a lot in the story of the flood that you need and I need for right here and for right now in our life with its issues and challenges. But I think a lot of times we don't necessarily get to some of the lessons in the ark and the flood because we're so overwhelmed with big questions like where are the dinosaurs and how did the big animals fit onto the ark? And is it a local flood or a worldwide flood? And, and a whole host of other questions. And I said we don't get to some of this important stuff because we're answering those questions. That, that's not an appropriate way to say it. Those questions are important because this is a real story. It really happened. And no doubt for any thinking person, it is going to raise questions of how would that be? How could that be? What would that look like? And if it's a real story, then real questions should have legitimate answers, right? And you work through some of those answers, and some of them are real simple, like getting the big animals, up, uh, you know, on the ark, and, the, you know, how do they move around, all the, the big animals? Well, did you ever stop and think? God didn't have to bring the adult version of that animal to the ark, could, could have been a juvenile, could have been a baby version uh, of that animal, or all the kinds of animals. You know, kind is a tricky word. We have hundreds of kinds of dogs today, right? But in the animal kingdom, there's only one animal that is a canine. One, it's just a pair of canines on there. So working through all that, actually looking at the size of different animals, maybe if we use juveniles, all the little insects and everything else, 50,000 kinds of animals would fit on the ark. That, that's actually quite measurable and, and provable. 50,000 kinds of animals would fit on the ark. You know, if those are the kinds of questions that intrigue you, kind of questions you need answers to if it's going to bolster your faith and the idea of this story. Or maybe you've got that. You just want to be able to explain that, share that with somebody else. I want to encourage again the website Answers in Genesis. They just do it so well, so clean, so clear. Go to Answers in Genesis, see what is what, what information is there, what resources uh, that you can get, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust them 
to handle all that for us because what I want to do today and next Sunday is really focus on, to, hey, what is, what is here for my life right now? What, what is here for, explain this, because as important it is to know where the dinosaurs are or how the big animals fit on there, that's not actually going to help me with what I need this week. And, and this story does bring to us that. If you're new to our church or hadn't been here for a while, we are in a series on Genesis. I've, we've been in it long enough, I'm starting to forget what number. I, I think this is like our 10th Sunday, our 10th week on Genesis. We're going to be in it till November. But right now, currently, we're in like three weeks. We started last week, two more on, on the ark and the flood. So turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 6. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 13, a, a really important passage to understanding uh, all of this. But today we'll pick up in verse 13 again and uh, go from there. So God said to Noah, Genesis 6 verse 13, so God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them out all along. I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. But I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, male and female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for you and your family and for all the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. Now see, that last verse, there's a whole sermon right there. What does obedience look like? Well, based on Noah, it's everything and exactly do those two words describe your obedience? I know too often in my life words like, well, mostly, well, kind of, I'm trying. <laughs> okay, but what is obedience? Well, according to Noah, it's everything exactly. Let's drop down to verse 11 of chapter 7. When Noah was 600 years old on the 17th day of the second month, hey, let me stop right there. You've probably already noticed we're getting a lot of detail in this story. And boy, that's just Noah, 600 years, 17th month. That's a lot of detail. And what's true for this story is true for Genesis, it's true for the Bible, it's true for the Gospels, an incredible amount of detail. You know why that's important? Because if this is not true, you don't give detail. You know, if I'm just promoting a, hey, I, I, I want to start a new religion. And you know, as religion, we got to have some stories because aren't all religions based on some good stories? So I need some stories, but I know they didn't really happen. You know, we're just going to kind of build things and learn things off of these. If I'm going to put stories in there that I know aren't true, you know what I don't put with the stories? Details. Details. Because details can be fact-checked. 
The more detail, the more you're calling out eyewitnesses who can say, no, it wasn't. That's not what day. That's not what time. That's not what happened. And yet, uh, this Bible is filled with incredible, measurable details by eyewitnesses because it happened. It's true. Okay, back to chapter 7, verse 11. When Noah was 600 years old on the 17th day of the second month, all the underground waters erupted from the earth. So the, the flood started from below. It erupted from the earth, and the rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky, and then it came from above. The rain continued to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. That very day, Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives with them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal, domestic and wild, large and small, along with the birds of every kind. Two by two, they came into the boat, representing every living creature that breathes. A male and a female of each kind entered, just as God commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. For 40 days, the floodwaters grew deeper, covering the ground and lifting the boat high above the earth. As the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface. Finally, the water covered even the highest mountains on the earth. So, what is this story that we just read? Is it about a really powerful, really angry God, and you better do exactly what he says or else... He'll kill you? Well, you, you can't entirely say that's not the case. But what if I were to tell you that what you and I just read was a story of the kindness and the patience, the patience of God. That's what you and I just learned about. I probably expect more than one or two of you to go, I missed the patience. Where was that? <laughs> where, where do we see the patience in this? I'm, I'm glad you asked. I'd love to tell you. Genesis chapter 5, verse 32, the last verse in Genesis 5, says that Noah was 500 years old as this story is about to be introduced, as this Noah and the flood thing is about to unfold. Well, you and I just read he was 600 years old when he was on the boat and and the water fell and the water rose. Well, why 100 years in between? Why why does it take 100 years? And the answer is not because it took 100 years to build the ark. I would imagine if it was just Noah and his sons building that ark, it's going to take a while, right? But what would be a while? 10 years? 15 years? It wouldn't take anything like 100. And there's nothing there that says they were the only ones building the ark. Very possible Noah hired people out to help. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't make fun of their boss. That, that didn't mean they didn't mock what they were building. But hey, at the end of the day, I got to make a living. I got to pay bills. So I'll go work for old Noah. He's got a good job going there. So we don't really know how many people. It might have just been four, but there may have been others. But regardless, it wouldn't take 100 years to build this boat. So why? Why is there 100 years from the announcement to the rain starting to fall? And the answer to that question is because God is patient and he wants you and I to be saved. He doesn't want anybody to drown. I'll prove that in just a little bit. So what's going on for a hundred years is not only is Noah building, but Noah's preaching. Noah's preaching about what God has told him. Noah's preaching about what God is going to do. Noah is preaching about why this is happening in our world. 
Can you imagine Noah preaching that message and having to do that for 80, 90 years? Can you imagine how popular that made him and his family? I mean, you know, we know today, we watch how humans respond to things, right? And humans generally don't respond well to somebody saying, hey, that's wrong. You know, pretty soon somebody's, oh, look, here comes holier than thou. Oh, look, here comes God's favorite. Oh, I suppose I'm going to hell. You know, and some people will kind of laugh at that, mock that, ignore it. Some will get mad. Hey, hey, no, you're not coming in my store. Get out. Go get your stuff somewhere else. I'm going to serve you. I'm not going to help you. I know what you think about me. And it wasn't just for a few years that Noah and his family were hearing that, dealing with that. Upwards to 100 years they're dealing with that. But there's Noah preaching that message. Got a nice backdrop. It's a big boat. He's preaching that message. But you know, it still doesn't take 100 years to preach a message. I know we've all heard some preachers. We thought it's going to take them 100 years to finish this. No, there's no internet during the day of Noah. There's no TV. There's no radio during the day of Noah. And if you buy into the idea that I think I buy into based on some things I've read, the earth is actually quite large at Noah's time. I I believe there's 5 billion, maybe 6, 7 billion people at that time. They're spread out around the earth. So when we talk about the boat And we talk about what Noah's preaching. Not everybody saw the boat. Not everybody heard Noah's message. So how does everybody hear it? Because guess what we learn in the Bible? God wants everybody to hear it. God wants everybody to know. Well, it's going to take time. And that's why it took 100 years. Yeah, there's trade routes. People coming through. They're moving from one area to another. They're moving goods from one area to another. And they're going to stop there. And say, hey, you hear about that crazy preacher? Do you see this boat that he's building? And they go home and they say, man, you're not going to believe what's going on over there. And it took time for the story to spread. Not only the story of what was happening, but why it was happening. A hundred years of that message going out. And not one person turning. 100 years is a lot of patience. Most of us don't have that patience. Well, I mean, most of us don't have 100 years, right? But most of us don't have 100 minutes to wait on somebody who's doing wrong. 100 years, God's giving everybody a chance to hear. And you want to know something crazy? The 100 years, that doesn't represent God's patience. Multiply it by 10. It was 1,000 years that God waited to bring this. You say, well, how how do you know that? You remember a couple of Sundays ago, we were outdoors, July 4th, July 2nd, right before July 4th. We were outdoors that day. We talked about Enoch. Y'all remember Enoch in Genesis chapter 5? And and Enoch was, uh, remember, he's one of uh, the Bible trivia questions. He's one, one of two people who never died. He was out on a walk with God one day, and God said, hey, we're closer to my house than yours. Let's just go on to mine. And, and there Enoch goes. But Enoch's more, more than a Bible trivia question. Man, what we saw with Enoch is he, that he walked in close fellowship 
with God. We also ran over to Jude, second to last book in the Bible. There's, there's uh, Enoch in the opening pages of the Bible, and all of a sudden he pops up again right near the end of the Bible. And there we see Jude talking about the life of Enoch, and we get some more information. We find out he was a preacher. He was a prophet preaching against the ungodliness of his day. And I think, I think he, Enoch, I mean, he, remember, he's walking in with God, talking with God. And I think God told him the, the words that we looked at last week in the first part of Genesis 6. I think, I think God told Enoch, man, I'm telling you something. The way humanity is developing, the way it's rolling, it's grieving my heart. I'm actually getting to the place where I'm regretting. I'm regretting that I even made people. And man, Enoch would take that message and say, y'all got to turn. You got to come back. There's a creator God, a God that loves you, a God who has the life that you want. No, nobody... Nobody listened, but he continued to faithfully preach that message against all ungodliness. And I think on one of those walks, I think God told him about the flood. Now, when I say God told him about the flood, I don't know if God used the specific, the word flood. If he said, hey, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what's going to happen. Or if he just said something in general, hey, Enoch, I'm getting ready to wipe this place out. But he told Enoch something about what was going to happen. You say, how do you know that? Well, Enoch pops up, has a son, has a little boy, and he names him Methuselah. Methuselah, now remember, Enoch is a Bible trivia question. Well, his son is going to become a Bible trivia question because Methuselah is the oldest person in history, the oldest person in the Bible, 969 years old. And so here, here is now uh, Enoch is the great grandfather to Noah, and for that time and age, actually Enoch did not live very long, uh, but his son lived very very long, and so Methuselah would have been the would not would have been is the grandfather to Noah, and their lives cross. They would have very much known each other, and so uh, Enoch has this boy and names him Methuselah. Do you know what the word Methuselah means? It means when he is gone, it shall be sent. Everybody in the culture knows who Enoch is. Everybody knows what he's preaching and what he's saying. And then he has this baby boy. And everybody, hey, what's your son's name? When he's gone, it's going to happen. When he dies, everything I've said is going to happen then. Now, Methuselah knows what his name is, right? He knows what that means. And so Enoch has died and passed off the scene, but now there's Methuselah living that long life, sees his grandson Noah, and along comes Noah one day and and says, hey, granddad, or whatever you would have called somebody back then, he says, hey, granddad, God just came to me. God told me what he's going to do. There, there's going to be this flood. He's going to wipe out the earth. Man, don't you know that Methuselah's thinking, hey, hey, is this it? Is this what my dad was talking about? Is this what I was named for? Am I about to die? Am I about to end so that it will happen? You know, it's interesting when we do the math, and it's real easy to do when you go down and look at the ages and how lives would have crisscrossed and everything. It's real easy to see that Methuselah, when he died, 
Noah was 600 years old. Methuselah died right before the flood. Just as God said. 969 years ago, he was named with a moment, an event already mined. And it happened just like God said. Now, if you back up and keep, let's keep Methuselah alive a little bit longer, that means every day you see Methuselah walking down the street. Hey, meth. Oh, they probably didn't call him meth. Let's hope. <laughs> let's hope they didn't call him meth. I don't know. What would, what would you call Methuselah for short? Let's just stick with Methuselah, okay? Hey, Methuselah, I mean, every time you see him with his bagel and coffee, every time you see him going out to get his mail, do you realize the presence of Methuselah on this earth means I still have a chance? There's still grace. There's still an opportunity. I know what his, grandf- I know what his father was always preaching. I know what his name, I know what his life represents. As long as he's alive, I've got a chance. But man, 969 years, long time. That's a long time to just finally not worry so much about it. Yeah, I mean, one day, one day, I know that this might be the case. I don't know. One day, Methuselah's got to die at some point, right? One day, he's got to die. That's long enough to think, man, there's, there's, this isn't going to happen. This is a bunch of myths and fairy tales is, is what this is. But the day did come, didn't it? Man, the seismic shifts underneath the ground and the water burst forth and the rain came down until all were dead. Until everybody on the planet is dead. Why? What kind of God? See, we don't ask why. We ask what kind of God? What kind of God would do that? Well, I know this. A God who gave him a whole lot of warnings... A God who gave them a lot of signs, a thousand years of just Methuselah walking up and down your street. Hundred years of this crazy big boat being built and this preacher out in front of it. Over and over, God warns. Over and over, a holy God, a just God, a righteous God, and yes, a loving God. A loving God is who does this because it's love. That demands justice. I think that's hard for us to process. To us, it would seem like if you're being really loving, you're holding justice at bay. He did hold it at bay for a thousand years. But ultimately, it's love that calls for justice because love is never satisfied to see wrong gotten away with forever and ever. Sooner or later, the, the, the wrong has to be dealt with. See, we live in a, in a culture now that defines love very backwards and weird. It says, hey, you, you support, you promote, you applaud anything and everything that someone says and does and feels. If you, if you love them, you're not only going to approve of it, but you're going to applaud it while they get hit by a car. That's, that's not love. Here's the difference. Love, absolutely. And it's, it's easy to get this confused, right? Love forgives. Love tolerates. Love gives a chance and another chance and another chance and another chance. Over and over and over, love will give a chance. 
Folks, all of that that I just said is very different from love making a way for wrong to succeed. Making a way for wrong to flourish. It's one thing to forgive a wrong. It's another thing to enable a wrong. That's not, that's not the same thing. Yes, we're to love. We're to forgive. We're to tolerate. We're to put up with. We're to bear. Love does all of those things. It does not make a way for evil. It's love that says, hey, I'm going to give you a chance over and over and over and over, but sooner or later, there's, there, there's got to be the consequences if there's no turning. And of course, that's, a, that's exactly what we see here. The, the, the consequences come. 969 years of grace, 100 years very specifically, here's what's coming, here's what's going to happen, here's why. Over and over, God brings grace. And when the consequences finally come, almost to a person we're going to say, that's not fair. It's not, it's not fair. Not God, fair for God to kill everybody. Not God, certainly not fair for God to, to kill me. What is it that we're saying is not fair? It's, it's not fair that God finally gets offended at, at my lies and my murders and my immoralities. Imagine more than one of us right now saying, well, I haven't, I haven't murdered anybody or committed immorality. I'll run over to Matthew chapter 5 and look at Jesus' definition of murder and adultery. I'm pretty sure it's going to scoop most of us up. You know, we have a definition of Jesus today. Jesus doesn't care about anything, right? Jesus just doesn't say anything is wrong. Because why? Because he's so loving. It's funny, when you actually look at what Jesus said he, in Matthew 5, he didn't come to throw the law out the window. He came to tighten it a little bit. Where we make it looser and looser, he made it tighter and tighter. Oh, you think actually killing somebody makes you guilty of murder. No, if you hate them, you're guilty of murder. That, that's called tightening the screws a little bit. But we say, that's, that's not fair. Hey, it's not fair that I don't get to walk around and act like I'm God. That I can decide what's right and wrong. I can decide uh, how I'm going to live. And anything good happens, I'm going to take credit for it. I'm going to take credit for any good and I'm going to put all blame for wrong on God. It's not fair that God's bothered by that. You know, and and when the judgment comes, it's not fair that I didn't get another chance. Now, never mind, I just ignored 969 years of chances but it's not fair that I didn't get another chance. It, folks, our level of arrogance is phenomenal. Our level of arrogance that God should be nothing and do nothing in the light of me just being me. Especially when me is killing me. Especially when me is hurting and killing others. And we say, no, love just lets me go. Let's me run. No, God, there's nobody more for your well-being than God. And there's nobody that wants to more protect you from those who run around thinking, I can do whatever I want. And it's very important to really dive into this whole, what's going on at the flood and what, what's God doing, what, what's Noah doing, what are the people of the world doing? Because do you realize that that is in the Bible, not just to let us know about a big event that happened on the earth, but because it perfectly defines where you and I live today. We live in the days of Noah. Those aren't my words. That's the Apostle Peter's words. Look, listen to what he says in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 6. Then he used the water, 
God used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, by the same power, by the same authority, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. Water the first time, it's going to be fire the next time. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. That's not fair. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't slow about keeping his promise. He's not slow when he tells Enoch, hey, name your little boy Methuselah. I'm going to use that. He's not being slow when it takes 969 years. He's not being slow when Jesus ascends into heaven and says, I'll be back. And I'm not going to come as a baby next time. I'm going to come as a conquering king. And I will bring with me the tribulation and Armageddon and the day of judgment. But it's been 2,000 years, right? I mean, long enough to think, I don't think this is really happening. I, I, I don't think that's true. No, no, no. I mean, that's exactly what Peter says. No, no, no. A day is like a thousand years, the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient. He was patient at the ark, and he is patient today. He is being patient for your sake. Listen to this. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He didn't want anyone to drown. He doesn't want anyone to burn. He will wait, and he will wait, and he will wait. But the day has to come. Because God's both loving and just. He's holy and righteous. The day will come. He wants He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent, to turn back to him, to find life and to find life eternal. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. The heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. You know, folks, it's it's been 2,000 years. I wonder, even among believers, how many of us sitting here right now, just like the people in the day of Noah. Ah, yeah, big flood's coming. When was that that he said that? 80 years ago? I don't think weather forecasts last 80 years. It will come as unexpectedly as a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy, godly lives should you live? What kind of life should you live in light of the fact that you know God warned of a flood, gave a thousand years for people to return, gave a hundred years of very specific details of what's going to happen, calling for people to return, and then it happened. God fulfilled exactly what he said he was going to do. What kind of people should we live knowing that our Savior ascended into heaven, saying, I'm going to come back, and gave, gave very specific details of what it's going to look like when he comes back and, and what is going to happen when he comes back? What kind of people should we be who believe that he fulfills his promises? We have evidence and proof that he fulfills his promises. What kind of people, Peter says, should we be? Holy and godly. 
No, not, not holy and godly because God's coming back and he's really angry and I've got to live good enough to be accepted. No, I've already been accepted by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? I've already got his love. I've already got his forgiveness. But I want to live a holy and godly life so that people ask, why do you live the way you live? Why do you believe what you believe? 1 Peter 3.15 Let them watch you follow Christ and so live like Him that they ask you, why do you have the hope that you have? And we tell them, because the day of judgment is coming. How important for unbelievers... That believers live holy and godly lives because we believe God's word. The day will come. And I imagine in that day, I believe the church is raptured when that starts. There's other views that will go through it. I don't know if I'll be here to hear it or not, but they will cry unfair. They will cry unfair. What, again, what is it that we're calling unfair? It's his world. This is his planet. It belongs to him. I mean, think about it. As Americans, we'd be the last ones calling this unfair because we have such incredible understanding of my rights. This is my stuff. This is my body. And you can't tell me anything about it. Then why would it be wrong for God to say that? This is my earth. I made it. I own it. Your body belongs to me. I made it. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. I own it. Those are my eyes. That's my hands. That's my feet. And I've outlined for your good and well-being where I want you to use my eyes, use my hands, and for your feet to take you. I've also outlined some places your feet don't belong. Why does he not have the right to then call consequences when we ignore them? We ignore them over and over and over and over. We're going to say, oh, that's unfair. Unfair with 2,000 years and counting of opportunities to return to him. 2,000 years of him giving very specific detail of what is going to happen. Say it again. How important for unbelievers... That believers live like it. Our God is so patient. Next time you hear a, you're playing a Bible trivia game, and somebody says, Who's the oldest person in the Bible? Methuselah, I know, I know, I know, Methuselah. And now, you should understand how significant that name is. And there's nothing trivial about it. Don't let it get lost on you. When God said, I'm going to bring a flood. But I'm not going to do it until this guy's dead. That guy would live longer than any human being ever. Because it's not God's joy to kill. It is his joy and desire to save. So what are you doing with God's patience? As an unbeliever, what are you doing with God's patience? As a believer, 
What are you doing with God's patience? Because the day will come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I, I pray that no believer in this room, no unbeliever in this room, would have a moment of peace in this week ahead until we think long and hard about your kindness and patience and what I'm doing with it, how I'm using it, how your patience is directing my life and my message, how your patience is directing my prayers, how your patience is shaping how I look to you. We live in a moment of God's patience. What an incredible gift that has been given to every single person here, every person watching online. I've been given the patience of God. What am I doing with it? Holy Spirit, I pray you would guide and form our thoughts on that. And may we know clearly the next steps I need to take. To enjoy, to rightly and fully take advantage of this moment of patience. And for all who are alive on planet earth in 2023, thank you that your patience has carried us thus far. And for the believers, I would pray that I would, that we would live in full and total confidence that the day is coming. And I have a job. I have a job in the way I live, in the message I speak. Oh God, that every one of us here at the Heights Baptist could be just like Noah. In everything. Exactly. As you commanded. And we'll hold on to your grace as we seek to live just such a life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.